entering the Freedom Hut. CNN holds a town hall where the left wing tells us what they really want for this country. Also updates on the whistleblower. Turns out some connections to Democrat politicians, including one who is running the Turkish incursion into Syria and also the NBA's dishonorable China debacle. We got that and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Back here in the Freedom Hut in NYC. From my trip in Vegas, big thanks to Stansbury Research. Great week out there. Lots of phenomenal guests. Dennis Miller, Tommy Lara, Nick Irving, The Reaper, Noriel Rubini from NYU, Dr. Doom. Uh, We had a really, really fun time out there. But let's get to business, folks. I have missed you. Two days away from this show feels like far too long. And by the way, we are going to be bringing you a live show here from New York City on Monday, even though it is... Do we call it, do we have to officially call it Indigenous Peoples Day yet? Or is it, can we still say Columbus Day? Is that a, is that a microaggression? Maybe it's a macroaggression. But my oh my, we have so much to get to today. I don't even know if we will fit it in. I haven't said that in a while because I've been drilling down deep into certain topics. And, but today there's just so many different things. I didn't even mention at the top of the show, we have uh, Chelsea Clinton possibly running for Congress. Oh, we knew that was coming. Uh, telling men to lean out. This is the new radical left feminism on display in a New York Times editorial. And just one of the most incredible moments yet. We have Monsieur Justin Trudeau, who is trying to be still so woke and so left wing, but um, it's very hard because of uh, the horrific uh, debacles of the last couple of weeks. Anyway, but let's let's get into the important stuff here for a moment. The president. So I, I just give you a little sense of what's coming up later on there. President Trump is under siege and has been for the entirety of his presidency. There was never a honeymoon period. There was not a moment of introspection from the institutional left, the political establishment, the Democratic Party. They all right away decided that this was not just an aberrant moment, that this was an outlier, a black swan situation that President Trump had been able to defeat Hillary Clinton with all of the backing that she had from the media, the establishment, all those forces I just brought up, including some never Trump Republicans and former Republicans now who make me question whether they ever really believed any of the things that they had espoused over the course of their adult lives. But there was not a moment of let's see how the president does and judge him based on that. It has been from the start. Trump is illegitimate. The left will not accept him. They will not move past this. They have dug in. They are the resistance, as they call themselves. And that means that the president has his hands full. Not only is he trying to govern, not only is he trying to be the commander in chief of the United States Armed Forces and the single most powerful figure in the executive branch of our already far too large and far too expensive federal government. He has to deal with forces arrayed against him that, simply put, previous presidents who are Democrats don't have to deal with it all, and even who are Republicans haven't seen in such a ferocious way. This is a a whole other level, folks. I mean, people are 
willing to violate their oaths of office, willing to break the law, criminal leaks, commit felonies, whatever they have to do to try and stop Trump. And you think that in in that environment, it's going to be very hard for the president to make his case for reelection, right? They're, they're doing everything they can so that he won't be judged based on what he has done as president. The plan that the left has with Pelosi leading this impeachment inquiry, not even a not even a true impeachment process yet, just kind of sticking their foot in the pool without being willing to jump in all the way. But as that marches along, you might think, hold on a moment. This is going to spell trouble for President Trump. How, how could he possibly overcome this? You have the weaponization of the bureaucracy against him. You have the entirety of the establishment media trying to destroy him, actively working toward the the destruction of his presidency. Ah, but what comes into play all of a sudden? What is the X factor here that the left does not think about, or or rather the left uh, can't really take into account, because I suppose there's not much that they'll be able to do about it. <clears throat> How is it that I'm so confident so that President Trump is likely to win? Oh, that's right. The left is crazy. Absolutely bonkers. They believe things that no sane person could believe. They say things that no rational person could say. And this has now become orthodoxy on the left. If you deviate from this, even as a Democrat, you do so at your peril. So just when it feels like with all this Ukraine gate and impeachment inquiry and subpoenaing Trump's tax returns, all these things that are right against the president, how could he overcome this? Even Trump is not invincible, right? Ah, like the cavalry coming over the hill. The left wing Democrats show up and courtesy of a platform given to them on CNN, show everybody just how absolutely nuts the left has has gone on issues of religious freedom, on issues of uh, rule of law, on transgender rights, as they call it. Uh, there's just so much here that any normal person would listen to and say, hold on a minute, what, what has what has gone wrong? How could this be one of the two major political parties in the most powerful, wealthy country in the history of the planet? There were some real moments last night uh, at this CNN, this CNN town hall. Uh, there was a lot of dishonesty, a lot of disingenuousness. We'll, we'll wor work through some of the parts of this. But I would tell you that Beto O'Rourke has become the Democrat candidate who says what the left believes deep down but is unwilling to say aloud. And increasingly, I think that even though it won't mean that Beto becomes a viable presidential candidate, in order to not get left out of the wokeness, more candidates on the left are now saying the things that many of us on the right believe that they want to do, but they're unwilling to say it because it would frighten most Americans. It would shock a lot of people. Uh, the single most troubling uh, moment last night. Well, actually, I'm not even sure we could pick just one necessarily. There were there were so many. But 
there were nine presidential candidates there. Do you think religious institutions uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. Beto doesn't believe in the First Amendment at all. Doesn't believe in freedom of expression. Doesn't believe in... Sorry, I'm a little raspy after Vegas, folks. Doesn't believe in freedom of religion. And many of us were saying this right after the uh, Obergfell decision, the Supreme Court, that just wait, the left, they don't just want marriage equality. They're going to want people to, in the religious establishment, across the board, they're going to want them to bend the knee. What will be fascinating, and it would be fascinating now even if we had a real media that asked questions, not acted as propagandists for the left, would Beto say that about a mosque? Really? Beto is going to tell mosques across the country that they cannot oppose, uh, rather that they do not have the right to support traditional marriage and oppose same-sex marriage? Oh, no, only Christian churches, I think, Beto would be willing to say that to. Why is that? Why does Beto, why would he be allowed to get away with the bigotry of different expectations there? Well, we all know why that is. Because they view this as political warfare, and they view churches that still support traditional marriage as a major bulwark against the left's full-on authoritarian statism. Whether you support same-sex marriage or not is irrelevant to the fact that Beto O'Rourke, in this case, is saying churches are going to do what the state tells them to do. They're going to support what the state tells them to support. This, even a few years ago, people like me were saying would happen, and the left claimed that that was fear-mongering. Now you have a presidential candidate for the Democratic Party in front of the whole country who's saying exactly what what we were saying would happen during the Obama administration It was just a matter of time. And that's really what was on display last night at the CNN town hall. That's what's on display, has been on display for the entirety of this Democrat primary. Democratic Party's lost its mind. Things that are common sense, things that we all understand to be true, they all of a sudden reject. They have different priorities. They have a different lens through which they see all these things. Uh, and, And then there's also just their inability at CNN to even understand what the new rules are because the rules are changing so quickly. They try to be woke, but sometimes they end up just looking clownish. How are you? Anna, thank you guys. And my pronouns are she, her, and hers. She, her, and hers. Mine too. All right. Hey, bro, Cuomo wanted to make a joke there, you hear it? Hey, bro, Cuomo's on a national platform. You know, he just finished taking some creatine. He's working out. You know, he's looking good. He's like, hey, I'm going to make a pronoun joke. Oh, bro, Cuomo. Your, your brother, the governor of New York, could come in and just tell you, nobody makes pronoun jokes in America today. If you make a joke about a pronoun, they will destroy you, fire you from your job, tar and feather you. And then put more feathers on top of the tar in case there were insufficient feathers. Bro Cuomo had to apologize as a result. Maybe we should start calling him Fredo, but he had to apologize after that. Because you're not allowed to make any jokes about any of this. That was, in fact, 
the third rail that Dave Chappelle was willing to touch in his most recent and quite spectacular comedy special. He just talked about and didn't do it in a degrading or a nasty way. He made some jokes dealing with the LGBTQ community. There are no jokes if you're outside the community that the left will allow you to make. They, they think that they can shut down any discussion, any commentary that isn't full of reverence and the desire to obey whatever the dictates of leftist orthodoxy may be. There were things that were said last night at CNN that were hard to believe. Uh, there were moments like when a biological male took the microphone from a biological female. Actually, no, we can just say male and female. And I guess we'll say trans female to signify when someone is a biological male who now uh, has the identity of a, a trans woman. Um, but a trans woman took the microphone away and said the following without, I would note, without any challenge from CNN anchors, these multimillionaire uh, glorified actors on CNN. They're actors without acting talent, really. Uh, this is what that went like. Play uh, 29. Next, Secretary Castro, I want to bring in Shay Diamond, a singer-songwriter from Los Angeles. She currently supports Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Shay, what's your question? Um, it's Shea Diamond. Shea Diamond. Put that on record. Okay. <laughs> it's on the record. Thank you. Yes, honey. It's violence to, to misgender or to alter a name of a trans person. So let's always get that right first. It is violence. That was what was said. It is violence to use the wrong name for a transgender person. No, violence is violence. Right. You can say you don't like it if someone calls you the wrong name. You can't say it's the same as punching you. You can't say it's the same as physically harming you. Violence is violence. And if we allow leftist ideology to corrupt these very basic concepts, then they can say anything is anything. Then they've completely perverted logic, facts, reason, and the exchange of ideas. But no one challenges this. It is violence. But Words equals violence is one of the favorite tactics of the authoritarian left, because if words equals violence, two things happen. One, they can regulate whatever words they want, however they want. And two, if in fact they choose to use violence in response to words, they're just defending themselves. They're just responding in kind. So this is a deeply dishonest trick but one that the left pulls on a regular basis and, and embraces. It's true on college campuses across the country. Speech equals violence is one of the great, one of the fundamental fallacies of the American left today. Now, I switched up my clips for a second here. I mentioned the grabbing of the microphone. That, that was a, the, the speech equals violence. That was one thing. And then you had something that was much more, much more physically aggressive than just saying that speech, speech equals violence. You know, that's, that's concerning enough. Uh, but a, a then a black trans, uh, a black trans woman exploded at this event uh, with with anger and indignation that CNN had put on here. And there was this, this moment was it was a, it was wow. Uh, just just play play clip 30. I don't want to take this away from you. But let 
let me tell you something. Black trans women are being killed in this country and CNN, you have erased black trans women for the last time. Let me tell you something. Black trans women are dying. Our lives matter. I'm an extraordinary black trans woman and I deserve to be here. My black trans sisters that are here, I am tired. I am so tired. I'm just sitting there and it's not just my black trans women, it's my black trans brothers too. And I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to say what no, I'm going to say. No, no, no. Come here. No, no. I just want to ask you something. Come here. Tell me. Come here. I want you to talk. What's your name? I'm Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, let me ask you. Google me. Blossom. Please Google me. Blossom, thank Thank you. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me, no, don't come on the stage. Don't come on the stage. Can, may I have the mic? Okay. May I have the mic? Blossom, let me tell you something. The reason that we're here is to validate people like you. Ah, yes. You see, CNN wants it to be very clear. The whole purpose of this is to tell people who are on, you would think, the extreme left of the ideological spectrum whether it's on transgender issues or on religious freedom or uh, transgender children, which also came up last night. There were, there were two, at least, transgender kids who were there. I think one of them was nine years old. Always left-wing parents, by the way, for the transgender kids. Isn't that a coincidence? You, you never have two parents who are you know, conservative, church-going Republicans who have a transgender kid. It's, it's always people who are... Uh, you know, a- anti-fur activists who don't want their children being misgendered. I-, I guess we're just supposed to think that's a coincidence. But there was so much, so much that we need to go through here, so much that requires discussion. I mean, CNN is, is an embarrassment. Start with that. So CNN is is accused at its own town hall of being a, uh, of erasing I believe black trans women was the quote um, and and nullifying them. They're they're holding a nationally televised special specifically for the LGBTQ community and are and people in the audience. Or at least one person in the audience is is very upset at what CNN is doing because they're not giving enough attention to the black transgender woman cause. And I would just say I've heard this before. I've seen stories. You know, this is all part of the the padding the padding the mentality. You know, adding to the mentality of victimology that the left is so dependent on. So what they do is they say that black trans women are are being killed, and that this is a you are led to believe that this is an epidemic, that this is happening at rates that are. Are, are shocking to the conscience. Uh, this is and and no one's paying attention to the the murder of of um, of not just by the way not just black anyone who is transgender not of any uh, of any ethnicity. Well, if you look at the numbers, you have roughly fifteen thousand or so homicides in America every year. So about fifteen thousand people are killed in this country every year, and. Of that 15,000, you had about, give or t- I mean, uh, w- w- depending on the year, 20 or so in the last few years, transgender people have been killed in this country. So there are 320 million people in America. 15,000 of them are killed in any given year. Of that 15,000, about 20 are transgender, and it has somehow become a national media narrative 
that transgender individuals are being murdered and being targeted for being transgender. Now, if you also add into the circumstances that we're talking about here, how many of the transgender individuals were employed in or engaged in very uh, high risk professional transactions uh, at the time of their of their death? Uh, you would see that there is no statistical significance to this claim whatsoever that transgender individuals are being targeted. But if you say that, <gasps> that's an offense against wokeness because the narrative is that transgender individuals are being targeted and, and murdered. Now, no individual should be targeted and murdered in this country. Murder is the most heinous of crimes. And every transgender person in this country, regardless of uh, of anything, deserves all the legal protections of their uh, personhood, of their uh, physical safety that anyone else does. And anyone who harms anybody who is transgender should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, and, and that will include hate crime statutes. That all said, can we just operate in the, in the realm of facts? Can we, can we have discussions about what's, what's really happening? You know, wh- where's the CNN opioids town hall? I'm just, I'm just wondering. Not that you can have or shouldn't have an LGBTQ town hall, but we've had LGBTQ, we've had climate change. If we're going to talk about uh, body count, 70,000 people a year are dying from what is a true epidemic. And yet, why is it just not an issue that gets the same kind of attention from Democrats? It's the most urgent public health crisis in the country after probably obesity. Uh, But people are dying by the thousands. You don't hear much about it, do you? Surely don't have a town hall on fixing it. Conservatives, the right Republicans, find the opioid crisis to be of much higher, a much higher urgency. All right. But back to this this town, because it was there were just some wow moments here. I mentioned before the uh, transgender. The young uh, transgender kids who were there and. Here's Democrat uh, presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, who is talking about tax dollars going to prison inmates for transgender surgery. Play 26. In the 2012 campaign uh, Uh for Senate, you criticized a judge's ruling that granted transition related surgery to a transgender inmate. You said, I don't think it's a good use of taxpayer dollars. Right. Do you regret that? Yep. No, it was a bad answer. And I, I think it was a bad answer. And I believe that everyone is entitled to medical care and medical care that they need. And that includes people who are transgender, who um, it is the time for them to have gender affirming surgery. I just think that's important and the appropriate medical care. Look at all the changes that are made to the left. It's happened so fast that it's hard to even keep up with it. Elizabeth Warren says, now now it's a bad answer. Did she learn something new or what happened? Oh, no, the left just changed, became more extreme. The demands of wokeness grew. That's all that happened. The progressive orthodoxy has shifted into a realm where if you question anything about transgender surgery, if you point out, for example, that transgender surgeries uh, are, they involve the mutilation of healthy tissue. And there is no such thing as a transgender surgery that results in an actual switch of gender when someone does not have the biological parts of another gender. Now, for people who are going to bring up 
intersex, which is also formally called uh, to be when someone is a hermaphrodite. That's not what transgenderism is, folks. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the specifically emotional and psychological need for a, a switch of gender that is physiologically impossible and not physiologically based and involves surgery that has tremendous complications, long-term uh, challenges that come with it, and the long-term happiness rates after these surgeries, not just of the individuals in terms of their general life satisfaction, but transgender individuals who feel that they should never had had the surgery is very high. If you bring this up, you're a bad person. If you look at the facts, you're not somebody that's allowed to have an opinion. Go along with this or else. You're either part of the wokeness leftist revolution or you are to be destroyed, pushed aside, ruined. That's it. Those are the new rules we're dealing with. It's not just Trump who deals with this. It's all of us now. I I mentioned the transgender children issue uh here we had uh where was this we had a transgender nine-year-old i believe at the event play uh play clip 2024 let's bring in jacob lemay he's here with his sister ella and lucia and his mom mimi who's an advocate for transgender youth and active with the human rights campaign jacob is an elementary school student from massachusetts likes to play hockey jacob all right jacob um, my name is Jacob, and I'm a nine-year-old transgender American. Uh-huh. My question is... All right, Jacob. Hold on. What will you do in your first week as president to make sure that kids like me feel safer in schools? And what do you think schools need to do better to make sure that I don't have to worry about anything but my homework? Oh, I like that question, Jacob. Can do this. So let me start by saying I want to have a secretary of education who both believes in public education and believes in the value of every one of our kids and is willing to enforce our civil rights laws. Now, there's nothing in that answer that's worth hearing from Elizabeth Warren. And this is where you always have to be careful because criticizing kids is wrong. I don't criticize kids. I criticize adults who are exploiting children. I criticize the left desire to put children forward as advocates, as activists for a cause. And then when people disagree with the message or say, I'm not going to go along with this, I do not take orders politically or otherwise from children then they start saying you're a child basher how dare you how dare you the adults who do this are morons and they should be ashamed of themselves but in this specifics here in the specifics of this uh this case of the uh, this nine-year-old who says a, that uh um he or she I, I actually i'm being serious i don't know what the chosen pronoun was in the situation uh, this nine-year-old says, uh, says, claims to be a, they claim to be a trans-American. There you go. That's now the safe way of saying it. And I wonder, do, how, how long before I have to say that? And, and then if I don't say these things, I'll get in trouble. At what point is this required? The same way that I can't yell curses over the radio without 
uh, endangering my job and perhaps being uh, suffering economic consequences, being boycotted. Do I have to use the, the chosen words of the transgender or the chosen pronouns, et cetera, of the transgender community or face professional sanction? I think the answer is we're pretty much right on the edge. I'm not quite sure. And I, I don't plan to charge the machine gun nest alone, so to speak, on this one, friends. So we'll have to see. Uh, but I, I would want to know this. This uh, apparent transgender individual who is nine years old. And when I was nine, the most and I, and I mean this, the most exciting thing that I can remember was I think that I got to wear a dinosaur costume that year for Halloween. Children are children. It's a wonderful time. It's great. They're growing. They're learning. They should be taken care of and they should not be subject to adults using them as political pawns. And perhaps even worse, in this case, what I would want to know is the parents of this child are trans activists involved with the human rights campaign. Were they trans activists before their nine year old decided that uh, a transgender life was was what he uh, he or she again, chosen pronoun, I don't know, wanted. I'm just wondering. And, and if so, are we to believe that that's a coincidence? Because here's what I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that the parents here were far left wing activists, transgender activists, probably before they even had this nine year old. And then that raises the question of, is it a form of child abuse to inflict the ideology of the left on a kid such that that nine year old now will perhaps want to take uh, hormones and go through, you know, at a prepubescent stage. That's what's happening. Now, the left is advocating for this stuff. And this is where they'll say, oh, but the science, the scientists, any doctor and doctors now are all afraid. They're all running scared of this. They don't know what to do. The doctors who actually know anything about transgender surgery, they run and hide now. And so you have these activist doctors who come forward who are saying, oh, well, of course, because they want to look like heroes and they want their practices to flourish. The ones who are basing this in medicine and medical outcomes, they, they just don't want to deal with the politics anymore. But any doctor who comes forward and tells you that they know what the long-term consequences of ender, any gender reassignment activity, including just hormonal therapy for a young child would be, is lying. They don't know. You know how I know they don't know? Because it's never been done before. We are in uncharted territory now. And people like me who are saying five, six, seven years ago, this is where it's going. This is where it's going. Transgender kids. We were told that was fear mongering. What was fear mongering, according to the left, about the left during the Obama administration is now mainstream policy in the Democrats. And it just happened in the blink of an eye. And we're supposed to forget that we all saw this coming. Yeah, I mock Beto O'Rourke, but the truth is Beto O'Rourke has made a very clear decision that he because he has, there's no reason to vote for this guy. There's nothing compelling about him. His position is just to be the distilled id, the true psychological core of the democratic left, of the socialist left in America. That's what he's doing. That's where he's going. And you're seeing this now. And Elizabeth Warren and all these other candidates, oh, they're saying whatever they have to say in order to stay on the correct, on the, on the acceptable side of wokeness. And not even the Democrat media knows necessarily how to play this out of it. You know, Bro Cuomo made a fool of himself. But my friends, this is this is heading straight into madness and there will be real consequences. 
people will suffer as a result of these decisions. Children will suffer. Transgender nine-year-old. I don't even remember having a, a, a defined sexuality or, or gender or thoughts about gender identity at age eight, age nine. This could only come from parents, parents who are so ideologically driven that they would inflict their own self-satisfied virtue signaling political beliefs on little kids, their own kids. It's troublesome stuff. I attended an all-girls Catholic high school in Bergen County, New Jersey, where during my years there, proposals for an LGBTQ plus club or gay-straight alliance were routinely rejected, despite the school's messaging of acceptance and love. A few towns away, at another Catholic high school, a female teacher was fired for being married to a woman. How would you address the, at times, juxtaposing issues of religious freedom and LGBTQ rights? It's a great question, and thank you very much. Look, this is something that I've been dealing with all my life as a Christian. Um, people who want to use religion as a justification for discrimination uh, and often are creating environments that are so contrary to my religious beliefs. As it said in Micah, oh, what do you want from your Lord? Oh, what do you want from your people? Which is to do justice, uh, love kindness, and walk humbly. Walk humbly. And so for me, I, I cannot allow as a leader that people are going to use uh, a religion is a justification for discrimination. You, I could respect your religious freedoms, but also protect people from discrimination. And as I said in an earlier answer, I grew up in a household where my parents talked to me about how people used to use religion to justify the discrimination against African-Americans. You see what he's telling you there. That's Cory Booker, very mainstream Democrat, presidential candidate. If you are a traditional Christian who believes that marriage is between a man and a woman, not only do you just accept now that you live in a country where because of a Supreme Court fiat, it was not, this was not legislated, this was not passed by Congress because of the Supreme Court decision, you now have what, what is called marriage equality, what was formerly called gay marriage across the country as the, uh, as the law of the land. But if in your own institution, Catholic school, uh, Christian, Christian church, if you have any problem or if you have any policy that conflicts with marriage equality you're a bigot that's what the democrats really think and you know this this is the overwhelming majority of democrats if you ask them they will tell you that a church any christian church only christian churches though they won't they won't say that about any other religion if you don't support same sex every you know same sex uh, ideology across the board you're a bigot welcome back to the buck sexton show everybody so uh, president trump had a rally last night. You had, you had CNN do its town hall uh, style show with uh, nine Democrat candidates there all in Los Angeles. And we talked quite a bit about that. But th then you also have the, the Trump rally last night, which was a nice reprieve, I think, for those of us who support the president from what we've been forced to I endure in the news cycle for the last week or so, which is all this hysterical, oh, my gosh. The Republic is at stake stuff about Trump and Ukraine. We will speak more about that. Uh, but Trump was doing his thing last night. He decided that he wasn't going to hold back at all. Play clip 22. He was only a good vice president because he understood how to kiss Barack Obama's ass. 
This is what the Democrat nominee, whoever he or she may be, is in for. A president who is not going to hold back, who is going to fight fire with fire and then some. And the media can wave a finger and say, how dare you as much as they want. He's, he's not going to stop. Uh, I, I think that the president, how, how could he not have taken all of the stuff that has gone on here very personally? Remember, the Democrats aren't just going after this president politically. They're going after him personally. They want to humiliate him. They want to imprison him if they can. They want to incarcerate his family members, his advisors. Prison. Everyone has to go to prison. That's what they want. Anything short of an official repudiation of the 2016 election and Donald Trump at least threatened with the possibility of incarceration and some of his senior advisors and family members going along with him is flatly unacceptable to the Democrat left. They, they just won't. They will not go along with it. They'll say that it's uh, it's an insufficient situation. And so that's why. Uh, that's why I think we need to understand what's really going on here with the Ukraine. Scandal Oh, the Ukraine scandal. I keep seeing people who are they're falling for it all over again. I don't care that it looks rough. I don't care that it's uh, it, it, it feels a little bit politically dirty for the president to bring up Joe Biden's name in a conversation with a foreign head of state. There is a predicate. There is a basis, a legitimate suspicion and basis for investigation. We know that because there already was some investigation going on. The president raised concerns. There has not been the establishment, despite what you're reading the media, of any quid pro quo. And Joe Biden does not have immunity, nor does his son have immunity, because they happen to be the best hope right now of Democrats uh, defeating Trump. Sorry. I, I know that it bothers people. I know that they'd like to believe that, oh, you know, but, but our president, you know, the founding fathers, the founding fathers, I mean, Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. Are we really going to talk about this? This is politics is an ugly, messy business. People act like in the earliest days, the rumors that different politicians at the time of the American founding were spreading about each other. Rumors are being spread about Thomas Jefferson. Rumors are being spread about John Adams. You go through this. It was no holds barred, man. I mean, the the Democrats love to do this to us, though, because Republicans or at least the, the right is highly imperfect. Trump is highly imperfect. But there's at least some belief that there are rules that reality exists and reality doesn't conform to whatever you say it is, that the law is the law. You can't just pretend the law is something else because you wish it to be so. And while we may fall short of our ethical goals, at least we have ethical goals. The left is like, whatever works, power, go for it, do it, get it. Stunning to see this continue to play out. Everyone says, oh, look at what Trump has done here. Look at how, how horrible it is that he has gone... Uh, gone after Biden in, in this way. Here, Joe, Joe Biden is saying that there are are violations of his oath of office. Of course, he is. Twenty one. Donald Trump has violated his oath of office, betrayed this nation, and committed impeachable acts. To preserve our constitution, our democracy, our basic integrity, he should be impeached. To preserve our democracy. I mean, they use these words. 
they, they trot out these slogans and that they can keep a straight face, I just find remarkable. Ah, oh, yes, to defend our democracy, we must impeach this president. Yeah, that's right. To defend the democracy, you have to pretend that this guy never won the election the last time around and isn't about to win this election this time around unless the Democrats play dirty tricks. But you know, I, I can tell you that uh, you know that I'm a I've been reading up and doing some research on I was going to say I'm a fan of, but that's not really the right, right way to say it. I've, I've been deep diving into the Committee of Public Safety of the French Revolution. Now, this will this all make sense in a second. Uh, but the Committee of Public Safety became a committee of dictatorship. Send people off to the guillotine, execution for any number of real or imagined crimes, overwhelmingly imagined crimes. Uh, and, and, and it was always justified, though, along the way by some of the most intelligent, erudite statesmen you'd find anywhere in France in the 1790s, Right. That's that's the truth is that these were people that were supposed to be the best and the brightest as we see time and again. But one of the working theories, especially when the Committee of Public Safety turned against the National Assembly and there were there were there was infighting, political infighting, was the rejection of the charges. When somebody would say, I am not guilty of treason, how dare you? That rejection was taken by the real center of power, which was this dictatorial committee that could have anyone executed as, see, he doesn't even respect the, the will of the people as evidenced through these charges, and therefore the verdict must come swiftly. In essence, your rejection of the accusation is proof that the allegation must be true. So this is not a new phenomenon. It's exactly what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. Right. Remember that? Oh, he got mad. Yeah. When the crazy ladies were lying about him being a rapist, he got mad. That's that's a normal thing for any guy to do. That's that's a normal thing for any guy to do. I, I, people were pretending like it wasn't. Oh, do you see how angry he was? Yeah, of course he was. They say this about Trump when he's you know, the, the obstruction counts in the Mueller report. It's all. Oh, how how could Trump have said, oh, shut this down, fire this person. This is crazy. Yeah, because he was innocent. Because it was a witch hunt. Because it was all a lie. Ah, but his rejection of their effort to destroy him was further evidence that he should be destroyed. That's that's the position that they were taking. And now we have the exact same circumstance with Ukraine. Right Now it's the president wants to look into the effort to take him down. Has the DOJ already... And Durham, uh, the U.S. attorney for Connecticut and, and uh, Bill Barr has them looking into this situation. And the fact that he wants to know the facts of how they tried to destroy his presidency and the last soft coup effort, how it failed, but how it even got started. That is being taken as evidence that he's corrupt and he's guilty all along. Right? Any effort to push back against this this soft coup, this conspiracy to destroy a president and undo the results of the 2016 election, any effort to do that, you'll see they try to, in Alinsky style, freeze it, isolate it, destroy it. They try to make it seem like that alone is evidence that Trump is guilty and has been guilty all along. This is Kafka-esque. But when you deal with a totalitarian mentality, when you're subjected 
to people who are so ideologically driven that nothing else matters except them getting their way because they're so marinated in their own self-righteousness all the time that they have no sense of anything else, anything beyond their own desires or the desire of the collective that they represent some small piece of. Well, then you have people who will do exactly what we're seeing here, which is abandon, forget about abandoning objectivity, abandon rationality. Oh, the the president is not allowed to look into why they try to destroy his presidency. He's not because he's not really the president. You see, there's always a justification. There's always another layer. And oh, the president can't ask for further information. Remember, it, it could have been Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, could have come back and said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look. I'll talk to my guys, come back to me today, say, sorry, there's nothing there, man. We really did do the Biden investigation and I got nothing for you. Okay. You know, for, for Trump to have, they're acting. And for Trump to have really been corrupt, it would have had to be a different situation. They're acting like he called and said, I'm running against this guy. You know what I need you to do? Arrest him and fabricate some charges. Would I then, would I defend the president doing that? No, I would not. Will I defend the president saying, there's real reason to believe? Of course, there's reason to believe Hunter Biden's making millions of dollars from a Ukrainian gas company that's desperate to avoid the ire of corruption prosecutors in the United States government. Oh, there's plenty of reason. There is more, ba- there's more of a basis for continued investigation of Burisma and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's involvement here than there is Donald Trump Russia collusion. But look what Congress was doing all summer bringing more witnesses, just keep the whole charade going. It's a circus, it's ridiculous. Ah, but the whistleblower. Let's spend some time now on the specifics of the whistleblower. I don't want to have spies in the White House. I want to be free to make calls. I don't think it's fair that somebody interprets a call. He didn't interpret it wrong. I don't mind a misinterpretation. This was a fraud because that call was perfect. And if you read the whistleblower's report, that was no, it bore no resemblance to what the call was. The whistleblower, it turns out, I shouldn't even say it turns out. We kind of knew this all along, didn't we? It's really, it's really no, no surprise here. When we find out that the whistleblower reportedly uh, worked at the White House under the Obama administration and would have worked uh, closely with Vice President Biden. Does anybody think that the whistleblower is not a Democrat partisan? Oh, oh, but there's a, there's a second whistleblower, they tell us now. So that's supposed to be, that's supposed to make us think that there's, a real, a real legitimacy here because there's yet a, another person who has come forward and said, look at, what is, uh, look at what is going on with this Trump phone call. It means nothing. We already have the transcript. We already know what was said. So what, how is the person even a whistleblower? By the way, the original whistleblower report had falsehoods in it, which tends to happen when you're going on hearsay. When you don't know what was said, you're just hearing from other people what was said. Right. So we look now at this uh, at this whistleblower situation with more facts. And the more we learn about it, the more clear it is that this is someone who has a political axe to grind against the president's reelection, does not believe the president of the United States should have ever won. And. There are now other people that are coming forward to speak to the press and say that they were really bothered 
by the phone call that Trump had with Zelensky as well in the intelligence community. I'm here to tell you that most of the senior bureaucrats of the intelligence community have the same basic worldview and political beliefs as a gender studies professor at a small liberal arts college somewhere who self-identifies as a socialist. Government is full of people like that at the top levels. And I know because I was there. I was in the CIA. I remember what some of the top people in that organization were like. I'm not saying all, but a lot of them, especially if you're a careerist. If your career State Department, for example, the chances of you being a lib are upwards of 80 or 90 percent. It's like the media. Yeah, not all of the media. Obviously, I work in media. Not all of the media is left wing socialist insanity. But if you are somebody who has chosen to work in journalism, chances are about 80, 90 percent you're a lib. Same thing in the State Department. So that there are more people that are coming forward now to say, oh, I'm so angry. I'm so concerned. I'm What the president did, well, this is their moment to pile on to try to give greater legitimacy to what is an inherently weak story, weak allegation, which is that the president, what did he do? There isn't a quid pro quo. They can keep pretending it was implicit or implied, but guess what? You could do that with any conversation between a leader and someone else and uh, between world leaders on any number of issues. Oh, well, you know, he didn't he didn't say do this and then do this other cool thing for me to help my reelection. But it was implied. Implied is not a fancy word for these are the words that I wish that person had said. So I'm going to pretend that they said it. You have the ex-ambassador Yavanovich, who has been called today in Capitol Hill. All behind closed doors, of course. We're going to get leaks as soon as the, as soon as people can print them. There are going to be leaks from this testimony behind closed doors on Capitol Hill. You know, what you didn't hear about last week a senior dip, a diplomat because the media wanted to suppress this. What do they put forward? What do they suppress? Senior diplomat last week was saying that there was no quid pro quo, and the president made it very explicit there was no quid pro quo. And when the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, had the phone call with Trump, they didn't, the Ukrainian government didn't even know that there would be any delay in aid. By the way, aid that was given to them. The military aid did go through. And there wasn't some special investigation of Biden that, we, you know, that was launched as, as a result of the Trump phone call. So there's no quid. There's no quo. What are we even talking about? This is insanity. It really is. It's, it's bizarre. But you're going to have Ambassador Yavanovich, who I'm sure is a big lib, big Democrat, it's going to say, oh, yes, and it was really troubling. We were all so troubled by this. You know, These are the same people who tell you that everything Trump does is unprecedented. Everything Trump does is unconstitutional. That, you know, he, the Russians handed Trump the election, even though not a single vote was changed. They say crazy stuff about everything, but now we're supposed to believe them. You know, on, on these issues, we're supposed to think that they aren't partisans. I'm just, it's just absurd. The whole thing is absurd. Uh, now, I did see that there's some issue with uh, some Giuliani associates, Rudy Giuliani's associates who have been arrested. Uh, play that audio, my friend. I don't know those gentlemen. Now, it's possible I have a picture with them because I have a picture with everybody. I have a picture with everybody here. But... Uh, Somebody said there may be a picture or something where at a fundraiser or somewhere. Uh, so, but I have pictures with everybody. 
I have. I don't know if there's anybody I don't have pictures. Of. I don't know them. Uh, I don't know about them. I don't know what they do. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they were clients of Rudy. You'd have to ask Rudy. I just don't know. Watch how much the media invests and digs in on finding about the Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's associates here, the stories they run, versus the complete lack of interest in Joe Biden's activities in Ukraine, the lack of interest in Hunter Biden in any, in any uh, context, and the way that Biden has, got, has gotten away with verbally slapping around reporters who even, even raise this issue. Like, oh, it's ridiculous that you would ask a question about how when I was vice president and running foreign policy for the U.S. government in a country, my son was getting paid by a gas company $50,000 a month. And my son is an is an imbecile who doesn't know anything about gas or Ukraine. How dare you ask that question? The media goes, oh, we're, you know, we're sorry. We shouldn't we shouldn't have asked that question, I guess. I don't want to follow up on that. You know, the truth is most journalists are cowards. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. The NBA is putting on a clinic for how not to handle a uh, a PR disaster for how not to stand up for core values and to show the world in the process that all of you all of the the corporate grandstanding from the NBA about freedom of freedom of this or freedom of that whatever it may be or, or about different political causes or it, it doesn't really matter it's not serious, or at least it's only serious when there's no consequence. They're all, they only mean it if there's no downside. So the virtue signaling stuff the NBA loves, things that look woke and left-wing and progressive and cool, they're all about that. But protesters in Hong Kong? Hmm. NBA has a very different view on this. I got to say, the president, I think, is totally right here to just... Trump smash all the nonsense that's being put out by people from the NBA. Instead of Hulk smash, we could we could start a thing. Trump smash. I kind of like that. Trump smash. Uh, play 20. I watch uh, this guy, Steve Kerr, and he was like a little boy. He was so scared to be even answering the question. He couldn't answer the question. He was shaking. Oh, oh, oh I don't know. I don't know. He didn't know how to answer the question. And he, he'll talk about the United States very badly. I watched Popovich, sort of the same thing, but he didn't look quite as scared, actually. But they talk badly about the United States, but when it talks about China, they don't want to say anything bad. I thought it was pretty sad, actually. Um, It'll be very interesting. Excuse me? Are you okay, then, with the Chinese government pressuring the NBA over Hong Kong? They have to work out their own situation. The NBA is, they know what they're doing. But I watched the way that, like, Kerr and Popovich and some of the others were pandering to China and yet to our own country. They don't, it's like they don't respect it. It's like they don't respect it. I said, what a difference. Isn't it sad? It's very sad. To me, it's very sad. Trump is absolutely correct. They do like to trash America. They're very quick to criticize this country. And in fact, I think I've seen that the uh, was the Portland Trailblazers, an NBA team has just joined a a BDS boycott, divest sanctions campaign issue against uh, Israel. So they won't do business anymore with a company that does business with the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces in Israel. So NBA teams, they'll take political stands. They'll just take left wing ones and they'll take ones that undermine America, that 
talk about what a bad, racist, oppressive country America is. But China, well, I mean, China, come on, China's a big market. They can't, they can't say anything that's going to upset China. I want to do that when there's money at stake for the NBA, because remember, conservatives, the right, we don't we don't pressure people the way that the left does. We, we don't do these campaigns of do as we say or else we will bring your business to its knees. That's really a left wing thing. And so they can do this with impunity. Usually they can trash the right. They can trash traditional American values and American freedoms without it being a problem for them. And feel really brave in the process. But China actually is going to clap back, so to speak. China is going to punch back and say, oh, okay, you, you say something about us we don't like. Guess what? Now, now you don't have access to our markets. Now your dollar signs are in trouble. And that's why the NBA, for example, has canceled media availability for the rest of a China trip. ESPN just reporting on that today, of a trip to China. And... You're just not seeing anyone in the NBA willing to say, willing to, I don't know, how about wear something in solidarity with the protesters in Hong Kong on the court? Take a fine for that. You know, maybe, maybe even uh, do, do something, take some social media act of protest or just any, anything in solidarity with the people of Hong Kong who just want basic freedom rights and dignity and are standing up against an increasingly uh, tyrannical and violent Chinese authoritarian police force in Hong Kong. Where, where's the uh, where's the love? Where's the support? Where's the help? These NBA guys, by the way, they're all they're all multimillionaires. They're so rich. It's not, it's not, they could they could be locked out of the Chinese market forever and still never have to think about money the rest of their lives and be super successful and globally famous. And so, what are they real? What are the real risks they're taking? That's what a this isn't some small business that's going to fold if the Chinese say so. But they, they like to make a lot of money. They, 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 they don't want to make just a lot. They want to make a lot, a lot. Huh. It's almost like greed overrides, or I should say capitalism. Uh, but the desire for accumulation of wealth overrides wokeness. I don't think it's the first time we've seen that on the left. But the best example of how not to speak about this issue and to show what a silly ignorant hypocrite one can be when while the nba is dealing with this debacle which it is the nba should never have backed down should never have placated the chinese they did right off the bat here is former what was he a three-point shooter for the bulls back in the day isn't that what is this guy's the worst here's a coach of i think it's the golden state warriors i don't really watch thank you producer mark's here to make sure i know sports stuff uh, here's what he had to say about the China situation. Basically, yeah, America's really bad, too. Play it. Um, it has not come up in terms of people asking me about it, uh, people discussing it. Um, no. Nor has uh, our record of um, human rights abuses come up either. You know, um, things that our country needs to look at and resolve um, that hasn't come up either. So none of us are perfect, and we all have uh, different issues that we have to get to. And saying that is my right as an American doesn't mean that I hate my country. It means I want to address things, right? But people in China didn't ask me about, uh, 
you know, people owning AR-15s and mowing each other down in a mall. I wasn't asked that question. So we can play this game all we want and go all over the map and, you know, there's this issue and that issue and um, the world is a complex place and there's more gray than black and white. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Steve Kerr, for the most intellectually flimsy, cowardly moral relativism that anybody could ever conjure up on the spot. That was amazing, wasn't it? Here's the guy. He could say, look, by the way, if somebody ever wants to take the position, guys, I'm here to play basketball to entertain people. I, you know, I don't have a I don't have a comment to make on on politics. If so, if that's someone's position, I can always respect that. You know, we don't have to make everybody a player in the political realm. You, you don't have to do that. The problem I have is that NBA players and the NBA as, a, as an organization overall are very politically active, have all kinds of thoughts and ideas on politics that they must share with us all the time, right? Whether it's, you know, wearing the hoodies for Trayvon Martin or, you know, all, any number of things. You know, LeBron James really likes to have his say about politics, among others who are you know, also superstars and worth unimaginable amounts of money, uh, but, compl- but do complain about America a lot for people that are living in the uh, freest, best, most prosperous country in the history of the world. Uh, like someone like Steve Kerr, for example. Guy's a millionaire, famous, played in the NBA before, now he's a player, and, and he's trashing America. But, but the moral relativism, relativism here is what's really so... It's just so... Gr- just enraging really if you wanted to say i I, guys i don't know much about china i I leave that to other people and i just want my players to you know focus on what they do and i want us to be the greatest league in the world and fine but don't don't say yeah i don't have anything to say about china you know whatever because like everyone does bad stuff man like you know people are just like no one's perfect man really oh that's i mean steve kerr is apparently a moron that's your, we're not perfect either. We're not talking about perfect there, dude. We're talking about a country that has violated its covenant with its own people and is now sending out thugs, sometimes in uniform, sometimes not, to beat, bludgeon, and shoot them because they don't want the eradication of individual rights and democracy in a place that has had at least a taste of those freedoms in Hong Kong. I mean, you either believe that human beings should have some sense of some ability to have autonomy and self-determination or, or not. But don't do this. Oh, well, we're not perfect either. And the, the pivot, by the way, to AR-15s. What does that have to do with anything? You Steve Kerr, you unbelievable idiot. And this is a guy who's got a lot of ideas. He'll talk about politics. Obviously, he switches. So, so he wants to, you know, weigh in on AR-15 owners, but you know, doesn't have anything bad. Doesn't have anything bad to say about China. No, no, no. of course not. Of course not. Uh, it's a tough situation. I don't let Chinese figure that out. But this is like the leftists that I know who, when they talk, they'll talk about women's rights in this country, and then you bring up, say, the horrific oppression of women, particularly in the Muslim world, and especially in places like, say, Afghanistan. They say, well, you know. Yeah, but the burqa is a cultural thing, and yeah, you know, the, uh, the abuse of women is a high level, but they have a different culture. You know, all this kind of 
wishy-washy, mealy mouth on the one hand, on the other, cowardice, cowardice. And I can't tell Steve Kerr, if I had to find to come up with a formula, I don't know how much of what he said is just stupidity versus just being uh, a wimp. But the pivot to AR-15s is just perfect, isn't it? Oh, yes. Let's compare the violence against citizens and uh, oppression of people in Hong Kong as a top-down policy of the largest country in the world with the second biggest economy in the world. Let's compare that to the random criminal acts of some individuals in this country who have gone on mass shooting sprees. Hong Kong is operating concentration camps. Hong Kong is imprisoning Uyghurs, a, a, an ethnic minority who are Muslims in the west of the country, and putting them in re-education camps, torturing them, doing all kinds of terrible stuff. And Steve Kerr's like, yeah, but America's not so great either. This is the idiocy of the left. I mean, this is, and it's a common, it's a common refrain you'll hear. Well, sure, they're doing terrible things in this or that country. You know, they're, they're mutilating people for minor offenses against the Koran in this country. But, you know, America has its demons in its past, too. Huh? What does that have to do with anything? But the left embraces moral relativism all the time. They don't understand that there are universal truths, that human dignity and human rights. They talk about human rights, but then they don't really think that all humans should have them. They just use that as a tool, as, as a cudgel to bash people or regimes that they don't like and to make excuses for regimes that they do. Steve Kerr, that's right. We can't criticize. We in the NBA, for example, shouldn't criticize China because, you know, we have people who own AR-15s. One of the dumbest things I've, I've heard a public figure say in a long time, and that's, that's impressive. Because in a moment, we're going to hear from Monsieur Justin Trudeau. It looks like uh, Monsieur Justin Trudeau, who's very woke, uh, very left-wing, very liberal. He is a male feminist. He is the anti-chauvinist. He does not like mankind. He only likes humankind. He does not really sound like this, but now we've created a fake version of Trudeau for only this show. Trudeau is everything that people on the right like me have been saying about him for a very long time. But now we just add into that, that he didn't, he didn't dress in blackface, period. He had a dressing in blackface problem. Like, this is something that he thought was, clearly thought was really funny or clever, or he, he was... He did this numerous times. He did it so many times, my friends. And this is on the record. He did it so many times that he doesn't even remember how many times he did it. That tells you a lot. Well, he looks uh, to be, I I think he's still leading in the polls. I think he's going to win again in in Canada, which is stunning. Canada, what are you doing up there, my friends? What is going on? But uh, Trudeau, is uh, the problem is that uh, people know this thing now. And they can ask him uh, the questions. So they asked him about, uh, I'm sorry, a, a young person asked him about this situation. And here is how Trudeau tried to explain to a child in a classroom his blackface, uh, his blackface incidents, plural. 
and Solara, do you want to stand up and ask a question? What did you paint your face brown? Ooh, um, it was something I shouldn't have done because it hurt people. Um, it's not something that uh, you you should do, uh, and that is something that I learned. I didn't know it back then, but I know it now, and I'm sorry I hurt people. But did you paint your nose and your hands brown? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was the wrong thing to do. I mean, <laughs> the kid, the kid. I know that I've been saying kids shouldn't be involved in politics, but I mean, this is he's at a classroom. The kids are asking questions. Uh, the the kid you know, does raise a very very interesting point there, which is it wasn't just blackface. The guy painted, all, all, painted like his whole body a body part. It's just this, and he didn't know it was a problem. Justin Trudeau, the guy's this much of an idiot. He didn't know it was. This is the answer he gives this kid. I feel like the kid's probably just head thinking, who is this? Who is this imbecile? And so anyway, I, I'm. Uh, you know, Trudeau, yes, I, I did not know it then, but I'm sorry. Or sor- sorry. I'm trying to say it the way the Canadians is sorry. Um, he's not that sorry that he's going to step down. He still thinks he should be the leader of a major Western country. And liberals are still going to vote for him. If he were a conservative, he would never be allowed to show his face in public again without being yelled at. But this is why just the hypocrisy thing keeps coming up. Liberals don't really believe in the things they say they believe in. They believe it insofar as it makes them feel good and it's politically advantageous. But the belief can always be put aside. The belief is always secondary to the need for power and the, the acquisition of political and cultural authority that can be wielded against other people. There is a petty authoritarianism at the heart of every left winger. Never forget that. Trudeau is one of them. And there are many, many others. But I just thought that that the kid asking him that question was just was uh, was quite a moment. Apparently, Canada's prime minister once again, folks. This, I don't know what I got to do to get my Canadian brothers and sisters to wake up here. You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck brief. President Trump's recent announcement that he will abandon the Kurds at the Syria-Turkey border is another example of how President Trump's reckless foreign policy mirrors his reckless domestic policy. He even deserts his friends, both at home and abroad. Let me be clear. I believe we can't stay in the Middle East indefinitely, but abandoning the Kurds, especially so precipitously, who have fought shoulder to shoulder with our troops against ISIS is morally wrong and could put American lives in danger. Abandoning the Kurds is the wrong thing, the wrong thing to do. It should not have come to this. But Republicans in Congress, by repeatedly demonstrating that they are unwilling to hold President Trump accountable when he does something wrong, have established a permission structure for President Trump's reckless actions in Syria. Republicans in Congress need to put their country over Trump. The president likes to say he puts America first. In this case, President Trump has put Putin and Erdogan first, and America and its security interests second. Turkey knows where I stand. 
And the last thing, what, okay, very simple. We had a big victory. We left the area. I don't think the American people want to see us go back in with our military, go back into that area again. We won. We left the area. I don't think we want to go back in. Let's see what happens. We are going to possibly do something very, very tough with respect to sanctions and other financial things. The situation in northern Syria right now is a mess. Okay, let's just let's establish right now. There are no easy answers. This is complicated. And anyone who tells you that they know exactly what should be done here doesn't know what they're talking about because there are too many different variables, too many pitfalls, too many things that could go wrong. And right now it's just turned into yet another moment to bash Trump for most people. Right? That's what that's what most of the commentary, the analysis you hear on the issue of the Kurds in Syria is really all about. Let's let's step back and look at a few core things. First of all, you have the possibility of what would be an ISIS jailbreak in northern Syria if the 11,000 or so ISIS fighters currently being held by YPG, Kurdish militia and Syrian defense forces, really. So the Syrian defense forces are about half Kurdish, half Arab. Uh, But the Kurdish fighters are really the backbone of it, especially in these northern areas of Syria. And they have in their custody 11,000 ISIS fighters. The Turks have already launched an incursion into northern Syria and are clearing out some areas And now the belief is that they're just going to create, they're going to carve out a Turkish protectorate in northern Syria and push out the Kurds from that area to give them uh, a buffer zone effectively so that they don't have what they believe to be and what is technically listed as a terrorist group, the PKK, on their border, a separatist Marxist guerrilla group that's been around for decades. So that's what the Turks are doing. Now, the Turks are being unhelpful in this regard, but the Turks also... Just like the Russians in Ukraine, the advantage that they have over us in Ukraine is that they care a lot more and they're right there. The advantage the Turks have in the situation over us is they care a whole lot more and this is on their doorstep. So we can try to back them off. And the president was talking about that there. We can push them with economic sanctions, perhaps. Uh, But Erdogan, from what I saw reported today, is threatening to say, you know what, if you guys try anything with us, we're just going to open the floodgates of refugees from the Syrian civil war into Europe. How about that? So Erdogan is also willing to, to play rough, make things, make things tougher on us. It's a very complicated situation. I have a tremendous amount of sympathy for and feel very badly about what's going on for Kurdish fighters in northern Syria right now. I believe there have been 11 or 12 casualties uh, from the Turkish incursion so far. So the numbers are very low, but that could escalate rapidly. But the truth is the Kurds fought beside our our soldiers in Iraq bravely. Kurds have fought beside our soldiers in Syria bravely. Uh, All the troops that I know, and I know many of them, who have worked alongside Kurds say that they are honorable, they are good fighters, and they don't have these, these same penetration problems where you have some radical will this has happened many times with sunni arabs in iraq with uh different uh, different groups usually pashtuns in afghanistan who will infiltrate the armed forces that we're trying to train and then we'll turn on our trainers uh so-called green on green on blue incidents we don't we haven't had that with the kurds 
and they have pre- they prevented uh, likely hundreds, if not perhaps even thousands, of casualties. Probably would have been hundreds, but hundreds of casualties if the U.S. had to do the house-to-house fighting and clearing of Raqqa. Okay, now so so I understand these different dynamics, but let's also remember that the Kurds needed to defeat ISIS too. ISIS was coming after the Kurds, so we helped them defend themselves and their territory. So they, they weren't just some proxy force for us that had no skin in the game. They had all their skin in the game, so to speak. They were all trying to fight against the Islamic State. And U.S. Special Forces and the United States Air Force uh, gave them critical advantages in the battlefield that kept their casualties from being much higher than they would have otherwise been. But now we look at, okay, fine. What are we really, Trump has said that 50 soldiers or or so will be, U.S. soldiers will be moved out of these areas, which means that the tripwire for Turkish forces isn't in place the way that it was. We still have about a thousand troops down from, I think about 2000 in Syria. And I've been, I've been advocating for, we've got to get them out. What is the, let's go through the alternative because I keep seeing this said and written that the endless war trope is unfair and, and not true. And, you know, you can't just say, oh, well, if, if you don't if you don't want our troops to come out, then you're an advocate for endless war. OK, well, what is the alternative? Remember, it's not the same thing. And this is very important. It's not the same thing to leave troops behind in a country at peace who are the guests of that nation. OK, then it is to leave troops in a war in an active war zone with multiple parties vying for territory, vying for power and and support of different factions on the ground, and there's still blood being shed. This is just a fancy way of saying, or a long way, not a fancy way, of saying that Syria is not South Korea, it's not Japan, it's not Germany. We're not at the end of some massive war where now we have established a regime, and there's the establishment of a regime in place that wants U.S. troops there or that has allowed a U.S. base to be there. We are in a war zone in Syria. Okay, we're in the middle of an active war. And what are we supposed to do? How long are we supposed to stay there? People keep saying the precipitous withdrawal. Okay, well, is there such thing as, is there any future in which if we remove all 1,000 troops from Syria it does not seem like a precipitous withdrawal. Well, the only way that could happen is if Syria is is at peace and the factions that are there are no longer fighting. Does anyone think that's going to happen anytime soon? The civil war in Lebanon raged on for about 15 years. Syria has been going on for about five. You have the Russians there. The Turks are involved. The Iranians are involved. All these different regional players. And we think we should just leave a thousand troops there because what? What do we even want the future of Syria to look like? Why haven't we heard about that? We want there to be elections. I mean, Syria is no longer really a country, as I keep saying. There is still a, a Syrian national government. It happens to be the Assad regime, and they maintain control over most of the major population centers. But so are we committed to stay in because we helped the Kurds defeat ISIS? Are we committed to stay forever? OK, we're committed to stay based on conditions on the ground because that's what we committed to in afghanistan we've been there for almost 20 years it's always ground-based conditions folks the national security establishment seems to never want us to stop having troops in any place 
I think it's so it's so rich too that Chuck Schumer there is saying, "Oh, we're pulling out our troops. We're abandoning our Kurdish allies." What was it when Obama pulled out troops? Didn't want a status of forces agreement. Didn't want to have troops behind in Iraq, and did a victory lap for pulling troops out. What was that? Was that abandoning the Iraqi military, the Iraqi troops that we were training and police? What was that exactly? Oh, and, and then the rise of ISIS. By the way, ISIS is not going anywhere, really. It's an ideology. So there will continue to be ISIS insurgent elements operating in Syria for the foreseeable and across the region. But now if Turkey's involvement in the area means that the Turks are going to take control or take some responsibility for some area of Syria, we don't want it to be our responsibility. And that's what I think people keep forgetting here. We just don't want ISIS to be there. You know, look at Afghanistan. We didn't want Al-Qaeda and the Taliban to be there. And all of a sudden that turned into, well, now let's rebuild this country and make it a functional place where there's democracy and human rights and sovereignty and territorial integrity and can defend itself against outside invaders. All of a sudden we're rebuilding Afghanistan. We've been rebuilding it for 20 years almost. We don't want to be rebuilding Syria. Enough is enough. We, we never, I just see this plan. We never learn the lesson. And of course it's going to be hard. Of course it's going to be a challenge. You're going to have to make trade-offs. There are going to be losses. Bad things happen at the end of wars. That's just, that's true. Uh, you know, we, we like to think of World War II as the, the kind of victory that we want to have, right? In many ways, absolutely the case. Defeated Nazi Germany, defeated Imperial Japan. We also carved up the world and condemned about half of the world to communist slavery and totalitarianism. Yeah, that's what happened after the Second World War. You know, we, we, yeah, it was a big victory for us and it led to American prosperity and all these great things. It also almost led to a nuclear war that would have destroyed the world. Because we didn't say afterwards, oh, hold on a second, Eastern Europe, we're not, you know, we, 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 Eastern Europe needs to have elections. Soviets, you need to back off. Come on. No, we said, all right, well, you know, you take your half, we'll take our half. See you later. Was the Korean War a huge, a huge success? Well, we saved South Korea from being a part of North Korea, but we also eventually said, okay, well, I guess North Korea is staying. Find me a war and I'll find you difficult choices that had to be made at the end of it. This stuff is never easy. It's never straightforward. Do I think that it it stinks that we are uh, leaving Kurdish allies in the battlefield in a position where they have to fend for themselves? Absolutely. But do I understand why the president is just... he? They never tell him that the troops can come home, folks. Can they come home from Afghanistan? Oh, no, you can't do that. Can they come home from Iraq? Oh, no, that's a terrible idea. Can they come home from Syria? No. When I say come home, I don't, just, I don't mean they have to go actually home. I just mean not deployed in a forward country in a war zone. Do we ever get to scale down? Do we have to continue the spread of our military commitments all over the globe and make them permanent? I mean, I remember this was what John McCain was saying. Yeah, 50 years in Afghanistan, whatever we have to do. No, no we don't want to do that. That was a bad idea. And I think that in no small part, there are a lot of people who don't want there to be a change here because then they might have to do a little bit of self-reflection. What hath the neocons, what hath the, hath the interventionists, the military interventionists wrought in the Middle East and around the world in the last 20 years 
some of you are saying about the last you know 70 years but let's say the last 20 years has has it been a, a history of successes is this something we want to continue to do and i always think about it this way i mean i i joined up uh, with the cia after 9-11 because i wanted to help my country i wanted to fight al-qaeda and the terrorists but would i go to northern syria would i go to northern syria and try to you know get involved in this of the civil war i mean as much as i like the kurds i think the answer is no because i don't think we have a core national security interest still at stake in syria is has the united states broken its commitment to the syrians as a result of political and battlefield realities now yeah i think that's true and is that fair no it is not but this is a nasty and messy business and until somebody comes up with an answer that doesn't involve all troops stay forever. I'm sorry. I think the president has the right instinct here, which is we've got to stop doing this. The alternative to not stopping is to keep going. And to keep going means the continuation of U.S. military commitments far in excess of what is uh, what is wise. And I think what is really possible for us to continue. The Clinton dynasty is... Not over, my friends. This is true on a couple of levels. Uh, first off, I don't think that Hillary has completely abandoned all hope of running in 2020. And I know I'm not the only one who says it, but I used to ask a few people that would come on the Hill TV show in D.C. when I was the host there. I used to ask, is Hillary going to run? And they would look at me like, oh, such a ridiculous question. Of course, Hillary's not going to run. Well, now she's talking about how she could beat Trump again, and she's out there in public, and she's part of the hashtag resistance. I don't think anybody who understands who Hillary Clinton really is deep inside knows that she's holding out that there's a some chance. I've been saying 10%. I think that's about right. There's about 10% shot she gets back into it and has the backing of establishment Democrats, and it's not a total farce. But speaking of total farces, now in Westchester, the powers that be in the Democratic Party are pitching Chelsea Clinton. That's right. Now we have to have Chelsea Clinton going to enter politics. I knew this would happen. I've been predicting it all along. And I do just think this is gross. Now, gross doesn't mean eh, she can't do that or it's illegal. I'm not saying that. Of course she can run. Right. Nepotism in politics in general is gross. It's not good when it's Chelsea Clinton. It's not good when it's a Bush. It's not good anywhere across the board. We do not have feudal lords in this country. We are not. A, we're not in a monarchy. We shouldn't think that people should get our vote based upon their last name being the same as somebody else who once got our votes. It's true for Clintons. It's going to be true for Trumps, too, my friends. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not a dynasty person. I think it's just wrong. It shows you that celebrity and influence and power matter much more in our politics than ability, merit, hard work. Chelsea Clinton has never had a real job in her life. All the jobs she had, she got, she's a Clinton. Oh, just wal waltzing to this place, waltzing to that place. Never lasted anywhere for more than a couple of years, you know. 
She got paid to be, I think she got paid $700,000 to be a special correspondent at NBC News. The worst on-air performance I've ever seen on national TV from a paid correspondent was Chelsea Clinton. 700 grand, folks, as if she needed the money. Just a payoff to the Clinton dynasty, courtesy of NBC. Oh, but she's going to run because her whole life, people have been telling her how special she is, even though she's never done anything really special. And her parents are really corrupt. We just completed a negotiation with China. We're doing very well. We're having another one tomorrow. I'm meeting with the vice premier over at the White House. And I think it's going really well. I will say, I think it's going really well. So we had a very, very good negotiation with China. Uh, They'll be speaking a little bit later, but they're basically uh, wrapping it up and we're going to see them tomorrow right here. And it's going very well. Trump administration hoping to get some kind of deal with China. The market's surging today. People are saying because of optimism on, on the possibility of a trade deal. Chinese Vice Premier Liu He will be in Washington, uh, is in Washington today. This is the first time there have been high-level trade talks with American officials in months. And there's a new set of tariffs for on all Chinese exports to the U.S. They're going to hit in the middle of December. So this is perhaps a last moment in time where you might get some kind of deal. Um, and if you don't, you're going to have tariffs that hit both sides and could have some really nasty effects on both economies. Although it has so far hurt China's economy more than it has hurt ours. I think that's that's very uh, very much the case. It's true. The not so not necessarily conventional, but the smart wisdom, I'd say, the people that pay attention that I think know what they're talking about, have been anticipating the possibility of a Chinese a a piecemeal deal or the start of a piecemeal deal with China on trade to stall the next round of tariffs from coming in and also to give a little bit more political breathing room for the president. I have to say, I think that there will not be a deal. I don't even think there'll be a deal of any kind. There might be a stall of the tariffs, but that's not really a deal. That's just kicking the can down the road. I don't see anything uh, substantive, substantive, Uh, either of those ways, I like to say it. We'll we'll take it either way, Buck. I I don't see either one of those things happening at this juncture at this time. So we'll see if I'm right. I tend to be right. You know that. Speaking of China, one thing I did not get to before, I meant to get to, were these, uh, was what happened when you had a journalist asking James Harden and Russell Westbrook about the China situation. Here's how those two NBA superstars reacted, play three. Hi, Christina McFarlane, CNN. Um, the NBA has always been a league that prides itself on its player and its coaches being able to speak out openly about political and societal affairs. I just wonder, after the events of this week and the fallout we've seen, whether you would both feel differently about speaking out in that way in future. It's a legitimate question. This is an event that's happened this week during during the NBA. This particular question has not been answered. Yep, NBA trying to shut it down. Basketball questions only. Basketball questions only. Have you ever heard that, by the way? Have you ever heard that before when a, when a journalist has asked NBA players, a, a completely, I agree with the CNN reporter there. It's a completely legitimate question. You ever heard that about 
presidential election, about Black Lives Matter, about, you know, police brutality, you know, name, name an issue that has come up in politics that where there has been a really uh, widespread and, and clear voice from the from people within the NBA ranks uh, speaking out. And and I've never seen that before. Only basketball questions early. But that PR person was, oh, my gosh, she was obviously a little bit freaked out at the prospect of Russell Westbrook and uh, James Harden answering questions about the NBA. I've just I've just got to tell you, it's uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that this is the way it is. Um, I would really like to see, you know, you know, who, you know, who really could do it. I just just have LeBron James come out and say that we we believe that all people deserve freedom and we stand with the desires of the people of Hong Kong. It's such an easy thing for him to do. Think about what that would mean, because, you know, these plays NBA players, we always, they're superstars in this country. Sure. But in in China, uh, because, you know, the, I mean, these American uh, athletes, especially in the NBA, they're like gods. I mean, they're they're just. They're so revered because they're the best in the world, right? And they have a lot of cultural resonance over there. I mean, if I'm LeBron James and I'm already worth, for all intents and purposes, I mean, I don't know if he's worth a billion dollars yet, but he's pretty much worth a billion dollars. If he is, and he will be, thanks to compound interest and continuing endorsements. Uh, you know, you're already basically a billionaire. You never have to work another day in your life if you don't want to. You're the best basketball player in the world. Some would say the best basketball player ever. You have a huge platform. And you could really inject hope into the uh, the hearts of the people of Hong Kong who are fighting for not remember it's not just their freedom. This has implications for Taiwan. It has implications for China internally. It has implicate. I mean, people are going to watch what happens here, and it will matter to future generations. What's the worst thing that happens if if LeBron James says that? What are they going What are they going to do? They going to they going to fire LeBron James? I don't think so. People aren't going to watch him play basketball. People aren't going to support. Him. Of course not. You know, there's a greater burden on the truly powerful and the truly wealthy and influential to show. I mean, I, I think there should be a, a greater burden for them to show courage, because if they don't, you know, it's one thing to say, I don't want to get involved in politics because I don't want them to shut down my bakery. And then I, you know, I can't pay my bills and feed my family. I get that. Not everybody should have to be in politics. But if you are a public figure, and now I sound a little bit like Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Producer Mark knew it was going there. But it's true. LeBron James has, has tremendous power. I don't just mean to pick on him. I'm just, but any number of these players. Now, I, I'm sure they'd say, oh, but Buck, there are other players who would suffer, the cut out of the Chinese market. I know that there's, but these, these things either matter or they don't. Because it, it, didn't, it doesn't matter to... Uh, you know, the, the uh, Portland Trailblazers that Israel is being treated like a pariah state, you know, they're, they're fine with that. So it's not like they won't do politics. They just won't do these politics. They won't do the let's help the protesters in Hong Kong politics. And I think that we're forced to ask the question why. And I think we have a whole bunch of very clear but troubling and uh, disappointing answers. Uh, that's what we'll see. This this would be the opportunity. All it takes is one major player to stand up, and I think it would really mean a lot, not just to our perceptions of the NBA. I think it would mean a lot to the protesters themselves in Hong Kong. I think it would. I mean, look, this all started with one tweet from somebody I'd never heard of before. Who worked, it was a Houston Rockets general manager, I think. Never even heard of the guy before. And that's how this whole thing got going. Imagine what a true superstar could do if he was willing to stand up and support them. But so I don't think there's going to be a trade deal with with China anytime soon. 
And I also think that you're not going to have anyone from within the NBA stand up and really show some courage. But man, it would be, it would be quite a moment. It would be one for the history books. And I'm hoping they prove me wrong. I, on some of these things, I like to be proven wrong. I, I, would, I would be uh, celebrating a prediction that I finally was on the wrong side of. But I, I think you're likely to see the situation with the NBA just continue as is. Where now they're just on lockdown and hoping that they can make this whole thing pass. Except for Steve Kerr. Maybe he'll say something stupid tomorrow. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Oh, team, I missed you so. I don't like being away for a couple of days. Vegas, baby, Vegas. I was there. It was fun. I came, I saw, I conquered the buffet table. I'm not a gambler, so I can't pretend that I, I, I don't gamble. And it's not for, I, I don't have a moral, uh, what's the word, a rejection of it or a, you know. Objection. Objection, thank you. Look at you coming up with the words for the radio host on the spot. Well done, sir. I don't have a moral objection to it. I, I just, I don't understand, I don't, well, I don't understand it as in I don't know the rules really. Uh, and also, I don't see how it's fun, but I don't, you know, if people like it, they like it. Although the slot machine thing, I just don't get that at all. You're just giving somebody your money to stare at a screen that's not that exciting. I'd rather play a video. I'd rather play video games for money, no question. That I totally understand. I mean, I, I got way too good at FIFA on PlayStation for a while for my own good. I was spending my life talking trash to, you know, kids in Germany and, and Japan and wherever, you know, playing them online in, uh, in FIFA, the soccer soccer video game. I got quite good. I had skills, S-K-I-L-L-Z, because that's how the cool kids spell it. All right, so I was in Vegas. It was a lot of fun. Had a great time. Glad to be back, though, and we've got exciting things going forward to talk to you about here on the show. Like, for example, uh, we are going to be launching the stream of the show on Pluto, on Pluto TV, starting Tuesday, folks. Download the Pluto TV app, and you can watch the show. It will be a video of everything you're hearing here. Also, the podcast numbers are going up, but I need them to go up even more, even faster, even higher. Please, please, um, tell friends about the show. Send it to somebody. The most helpful thing you can do is when I share the link on social media, if you copy and paste it in a text message, an email, or, or in your own social media accounts, share it with somebody and just let everyone know the show is going up every day now at 3 Eastern. You can listen in drive time. You can listen right after work. Some of you, it's lunchtime on the West Coast, so you've got a whole half day to get the show in whenever you want. So uh, do please. Uh, and, and for those of you who are used to listening to it in the morning, the day after, what do you have, Mark? You got to you tell me something? You look like you had something to say. No, no, I had some work to do over the other part of the studio. All right. But he's wor- he's working, working hard over here. He's a hardworking man. I thought he was about to fact check me. Uh, here we go. Uh, let's get back into it. Kristen, remember, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Uh, anyway, hey Buck, Kristen here, OSS and Gen X mom. This one got me to write finally. Must put in my vote. I love your bad singing. Yes, you do. Especially when it makes you laugh. It always makes me laugh. And in these often contentious times, a laugh is needed. Thanks for continuing to bring us the best research news and information with supreme intellect and fond impressions, bad singing, unintentional rhyming, accents, etc. Love it all. Oh, yes, and bring back Commie Bear. God bless you. Shields high. Kristen. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. 
Take my breath, though. No, I'm just, Please I'm just, stop. I know, I know, I know. I was about to go there. I was about to go there, but I decided. I think I was, she said she enjoys laughing at you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fine. She's probably. Wouldn't so take probably, that as a compliment. Probably correct. Yeah. But my, but if I sing enough, the singing will get better. Uh, I'd try that in the shower, just not on, in front of a microphone, please. All right, all right. Somebody wrote something in here about, uh, oh, here we go. Tim. Right. Chadwick Moore was an excellent choice as guest host. His humor, sarcasm, and insights regarding political power as a driving force behind LGBTQ activism are confirmation of what I have observed having my two children in major university campus environments. I particularly enjoyed his conversation with Rick Grinnell, who seems to be an outstanding representative for U.S. values overseas. The initiative to promote human rights for homosexuals globally, specifically among U.N. member states with questionable human rights records, is somehow reviled by the libs, uh, which seems grossly antithetical to the hard left's virtue signaling and goes largely unreported in the fever to disrespect anyone who breaks with intersectional political orthodoxy. Thanks for having Moore and Grinnell in the Freedom Hut. These two guys are thought-provoking, brave, conservative, and seem like they'd be cool to chat with over a whiskey or two. Shields high, Tim. Oh man, thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed the guest hosting. So thank you. Good to go. Um, let's see here. I've got to, I've got to switch to so we get the we the unread filter. So otherwise, I'm going through things we've already done here on the show. Uh, Albert writes, Buck, love the show. Been trying to get my right wing best friend to listen to you, but he's a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I tune in on a regular basis. Let's talk about forgiveness. You mentioned the other day about the forgiveness of the brother of the victim, the woman cop who she shot in his own home when she entered the wrong apartment. Although this person gave her the forgiveness she maybe or maybe not have deserved, my point is when it comes to forgiveness, we all need to look at Reginald Denny. There is no greater forgiveness than his. I really think we should honor him as a great human being. You have a good audience. But I fear your listeners don't know the story of Reginald Denny. Please give them the story. His is truly a forgiveness. Albert in Austin. Albert, uh, if memory serves, uh, Reginald Denny was a truck driver who during the L.A. riots after the Rodney King verdict was pulled out of his vehicle and uh, viciously assaulted. I think he had brain damage from it. And he came out and he later said, uh, I, w- Mark, was he can't, didn't he say, can't we all get along? I believe. Oh, yeah. Mark. Sorry. Mark is legitimately too young to remember that. Uh, but, yeah, Reginald Denny did did forgive his attackers. And I'll have to look more into that story. I don't know more about uh, more about that one. Benjamin Buck. Sorry, I'm a little late on this one, but I want to weigh in the question of whether to take callers on your show. I have loved your show since the early Saturdays. I download your podcast every day because I like to hear your insight and analysis. I also appreciate the quality of your informed and intelligent guests. However, I do not want to listen to people mumble nonsense about how the income tax is unconstitutional or how you may or may not remember me, but I met you that one time on the street outside of a restaurant somewhere. Buck, please do not take callers on your show. Sincerely, longtime listener, first-time caller, Ben. See, Mark, I always say this. The non-caller crowd is very, they're very vocal about this. They do not, the anti-callers are like, don't you dare take callers on the show. I, I agree with them. Yeah. Mm. I like the roll call. Everyone likes the roll I like, call. Roll, do roll call. We get to it, man. You, your voice will be heard here on the show. 
Unless you're crazy, then we just won't read it. Yeah, that's true. Huh. Then sometimes you do have to skip. We do get the crazy. People are always... It's amazing to me how some folks are just so nuts. Um, Tim, Buck, I'm curious. How is that guy who has now signed on the Green New Deal crowd, or rather, how is it that a guy who has signed on the Green New Deal crowd, uh, how can he have a son with a $50,000 per month no-show job as the director of a fossil fuel natural gas company? I'm shocked that his fellow Democrats haven't gone after Joe over this hypocrisy. Yeah, right. Maybe they think Hunter Biden, who doesn't speak Ukrainian, and has no background in the natural gas energy industry, is in fact a genius who figured out how to profitably reclaim cow farts for electric generation. Otherwise, forget the appearance of corruption. How can he possibly be a highly compensated director in a market segment that his father vows to shut down? Shields high, Tim. Well, Tim, you said it, my man. All right, everybody. So uh, we are on the air on Monday. So get excited about that. We are on the air Monday, and we will be on Pluto TV Tuesday. Do we know the channel yet? It's channel 200-something on Pluto TV. I'll find out. And uh, we also are hoping to see a big spike in downloads of the Buck Sexton Show over this weekend because I know those of you listening, especially those of you who are original squad or been with me for a little while now, you know how important it is this new initiative with the earlier earlier podcast time uh, that it works. So tell everybody, my, my birthday and Christmas present from Team Buck this year, get one person you know to download the Buck Sexton Show. And if you can't, have them do it this weekend. Talk to you all Monday, team. Columbus Day. Shields high.